0: Welcome back to Studio Stories. I'm your host, Chrissy Brewington, and today we're joined by Laura Sibley to discuss fertility treatments and IUI. So welcome Laura, thank you so much. Thank for joining you for us having today. me. All the way from Nottingham. It's so yeah. quite the journey, but it's a lovely day in London. I know you've got Kelly and Jack having a little mooch around at the moment. Um, so we've been having a read through your blog and you speak about how you've been in weddings and events for the last 10 years. Can you tell us a bit about your background and how you got into it? Yeah, so
1: I fell into it. I applied for a job as an assistant manager um, and they gave me a ring to say, yeah, you've got the job, however, we also have this other job and we think you'd be quite good at that. So it's up to you, Ah. which would you like, but the choice is yours. And I thought, you know, like it'd be a bit different. I think it'd be a little bit more interesting. Like, I'll try it. If I don't like it, I can come back out of it again. Yeah. And yeah, that was over 10 years ago now. And I've never done anything else. So yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. So what was it that you were doing there? So I was literally planning people's weddings. So people would come in, I'd show them around the venues, Mm -hmm. talk about what we can offer, packages we can do, put them in touch with florists and decor and all things like that, and literally plan their day right up to the very moment, Wow! and then hand it over and someone would win it. So it was lovely. It's nice to see it start to finish, Yeah, like people's special day. It's really nice. And how was it when you got married? What was that like? Because that was a bit of tables turning, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was surreal. So I very much passed the book to Kelly. I let her do all the planning. And mm-hmm. I just made sure that the quotes she was getting weren't ridiculous. Because I knew what to expect. <laughs> Inside knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. There was a couple of um, suppliers that I'd used for years and years. So I was like, we're definitely using them. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a florist with me. So we got married in the Cotswolds, which is probably about two hours from us. Yeah. Um but the florist that we used I've worked with for 10 years so I knew that was who I wanted for my flowers yeah. so we filled a van with all her stuff and took that with us and things like that but oh, otherwise lovely. Kelly literally did all the planning which was nice it gave her an opportunity to plan a wedding how did she find that stressful yeah. so every day she was so stressed with it it's just like they're not applying or this isn't happening and, how do I get a caterer to do this or that and I was like you have to tell them You have to just be blunt with people sometimes. It must
0: have been so handy to have had you there with all of that knowledge as well, to be like, this is good, this isn't good.
1: Yeah, and it's the little things that you know work. So we booked two photographers. Mm -hmm. So we had a photographer that was with Kelly Getting Ready and a photographer that was with me. But then it meant during the day we had someone with us taking pictures as a couple and another whole photographer taking pictures of all our guests the bits that we would never have seen had we not had that
0: that's a really nice touch
1: yeah so it's those little bits that you've seen and you think actually yeah that works we should do that too yeah (laughs) and how did you meet Kelly so I was working in London Mm -hmm. um, and I was opening a bar called bounce and we'd booked her to do some PR work so Kelly had just come back from um, the Olympics yeah um, yeah so she'd just been at the Olympics and we were just about to open Bounce so we'd bought an Olympic table as like part of the opening mm-hmm. and booked her and another player to come in and do some PR work basically Yeah, um, got chatting and well the rest is history um, but it, yeah it took a while I still lived in London for about another 18 months yeah. she was in Sheffield because that was where like the England training camps were um, and then we sort of reached a point where it was like well, one of us has got to move mm. and my job is the easiest to move so then I left London and relocated us back to Nottingham. And how long ago was that? That was 2014. Wow. Yeah. Quite a while now. Must well, have flown by though. Yeah, it has,
0: absolutely flown. Yeah, it's got crazy. And now you've got your son Jack. I know, and now
1: Jack's here. Yeah. So we are a a little family now. Yeah. Settled with roots. I know, how does that feel? It's amazing, it's surreal. I still look at him and think, wow, like how did we get that lucky in the end? Like it really is, it's yeah. surreal, but it's amazing. So one of your blog posts that we've read
0: that was called A Moment of Honesty, you completely open up about your journey, everything that went on. Um, Had you always wanted a family? Was that something that you'd always known since you were younger? Yeah, so
1: if you'd ever asked me when I was little, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, my friends were all going to be vets and doctors and all of this crazy stuff and I just wanted to be a mum like that's all I wanted to do and like I'd carry my dollies around with me everywhere and I'd push my little push chair and like that was all I wanted to do when I was younger Mm. at the time I never envisaged it was going to be quite as difficult as it was going to be but yeah that was always ingrained in what I wanted to do Mm. Um, and when I met Kelly it was something that we talked about very quickly like it wasn't anything that was negotiable for me so if she if a family wasn't something she wanted that's fine but this could never go any work. further, so it was a conversation we had. I think probably within a week or two weeks, because I didn't want to invest into something for any period of time that mm. really was never going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, luckily, she wanted kids too, so that <laughs> worked. Um, but yeah, it was it was something that I was I was clear I wanted to happen.
0: And you said you had a doctor's appointment when you were fourteen, yeah. and they diagnosed you with PCOS. Yeah, and
1: that must have felt like like. Such a lot of information to take in at fourteen. Yeah, it was, and he was so flippant. So he literally just said, "Yeah, you've got PCOS, so you probably won't be able to have kids," and that was it. That's terrifying. Yeah, massively. And I don't think I really processed it fully at the time. I remember going back to my mum and being like, "Oh, he said I won't be able to have kids. Like, mm. it's a bit rubbish." But I didn't really think about it in any more great detail. And then as I got older, and your life progresses to that point where you're actually thinking about potentially yeah. having kids, you suddenly go, actually, I've got this whole thing going on, mm. and I might not even be able to have kids, like, I, I need to know what's going yeah, on now. Like, 10 years down the line, maybe a little bit more, but roughly 10 years <laughs> down the line, you know, where am I at? Can I, can I have kids at all? Or is this just a firm no? Yeah. Um, it's difficult. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't nice. And did you go through other tests as you got older? Yeah, so as we got a bit older and as we decided we were definitely going to have children and when we'd sort of planned it in slightly, um, we had to plan it around Kelly's competing schedule a little bit because mm-hmm. um, she was out of the country so much. Yeah, you she was still to, competing when you were yeah, together, first together, weren't you? So she, was, she did another two Commonwealth Games while we were together um, and, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of just world championships, European championships, mm. like all those sorts of... I call them smaller things, but they're not that small really. Um, So we had to kind of schedule it into what we could do. And then we went to go and see a private clinic because I wanted to have essentially a a full MOT done of what was going on, because I didn't want to even vaguely enter into it to then be told this is never gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of needed to know that first. Um, And I'm glad we did. Like we'd always said Kelly would go first. She's a little bit older two years but she's older like that's fine (laughs) so we'd always said you'll go first that's fine and then I'll if we get lucky enough to have more children I'll go second sort of thing and then we went to the clinic and they basically turned around and said look if you want to have kids and it's something you're really passionate about you need to do this sooner rather than later and this is something you need to really get on with
0: yeah
1: um so that was that really that just flipped it on the head and we were like right I need to go first like, if Kelly can have kids later down the line, then amazing, if she can't, that's something we'll cross at the time. Yeah. Um, But medically, I didn't have any other option. So it was like, right, full steam ahead. We We need to tackle this while we can. And what steps were involved in that process? So from there, so we decided to go NHS for our treatment. Mm -hmm. The reason being, we'd had a few friends that had used them and they'd got pregnant. So success rate, when you know people, it means quite a lot. Yeah, Um, it's quite comforting as I know. Yeah, it is massively. And it's cheaper. Like, let's not beat around the bush. Fertility treatment is ridiculously expensive. So we just said, right, let's do a cheaper option. If it doesn't work, we can go into a private clinic and we can do that, but let's... Start with a slightly yeah, try lesser option if we can. So we went to see our GP to get referred to the like, clinic and he was great. He was very open in the fact that he said, I've never referred anyone to treatment. I've never known two women try and have a baby. I don't know what you need me to do, but if you never tell me. I want two no, women to try for a baby? No. Oh my God. But he said, like, tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. Like, what do you need for, to do that? Mm-hmm. So he did a full row of bloods Referred us off, and that was his like little bit done, which is fine. Um, and then you just wait, so you get sent off for your referral, yeah. and then you're just on a waiting list. So you just wait for a letter to come through to say you have an appointment at such and such a church. Oh, that must be such a nerve-wracking time. Yeah, and I'm a control freak, so I have to have full control and know exactly what's happening all the time. So to just know you're just waiting. You're like, well, has it got lost in the post? What if they didn't receive the referral? Should I ring them? Shall I wait? Should I go a bit longer? Shall I pop it? inside? And you're just like, yeah. oh my gosh. So it took about six months um, to get our referral through. Um, and then it happens quite quickly after that. So you go in and you have a first initial chat. They scan everything to check the, like what your ovaries are doing, what your general like, reproductive system looks like. Yeah. Um, you have a thing called a HCG, which is essentially like a dye test. So they run dye through your tubes to make sure that it runs freely. There's no blockages, there's no twists anywhere. It it does what it's gonna need to do. Um, And you have to see a counsellor, which was a bit of an experience because they weren't geared up for same-sex relationships for the counselling. So her, her side of it, which she said, was I'm here for straight couples who might be having a sperm donor or an egg donor to make sure that they're okay with the fact that although it's their child, one element of that is going to be... Yeah, external. Yeah.
0: She
1: said, and your thing of that is different. You know you've got a sperm donor. You know that's not come from one of you. So it's a little bit different. But it was useful. It was nice to just talk to somebody. She had a few interesting facts about, you know, making sure... That the other parent was okay with it because although Kelly doesn't physically give birth to Jack, she's just as much his mum as I am. Of course, um, and making sure that she was as comfortable with that and things like that. So it was useful. Um, and then you just start you start medicating, you start taking your tablets every month. I had to take tablets to have a period because I just didn't have periods of my own accord and then as soon as you'd start to have a period, then you had to ring them in again and go in for more scans, start more injections Mm. or more tablets and and work your way through. It's gruelling. It's tough. Yeah,
0: must have taken its toll. Yeah, absolutely. counselling side sounds like that was quite a benefit, but as you said, there's no real system there for same-sex couples.
1: Yeah, it needs an upgrade. Mm. Having it there is absolutely vital and I think it's a really important thing. It's just not quite... Up to date, it needs just bringing forward a little bit, but the concept of it is brilliant.
0: Did Kelly in any way struggle with the thought that you were carrying Jack and she was kind of away from all of these processes you were going through
1: when you're going through IUI? I think she was okay with the fact that it was me carrying and not her, and that like that situation was fine. I think she struggled with how I coped with it because it was me that was taking all the hormone, it was me that was injecting every day it was me having the scans and it was me that would grieve after every cycle her her way of dealing with it was to be very much like right no problem next month we'll go again pick ourselves up brush ourselves off and let's go whereas for me I had to grieve that cycle like I'd put myself through so much for that month for it to be abandoned and not work that it took a couple of months for us to balance that out and actually to work it between us so that I would have a day where I would just not talk to anybody I wouldn't speak to my mum I couldn't couldn't talk about it I couldn't tell anybody what had been going on I had to just process it myself which left Kelly then to text her mum and my mum and people like that and just say oh this one didn't work we'll go again next month it's hard I think it's hard on the other person Mm -hmm. I really do Um, the the hormones are a, a nightmare like they are like you've never experienced in your life they truly truly are I sat on the kitchen floor in absolute floods of tears because there weren't any crumpets for breakfast and that's all I wanted. And I mean like absolutely beside myself. And you know, they just come from nowhere. I, I lost my temper with Kelly in the car because she distracted me and I missed the turning to come off on the road. And like, it was nothing, like we were just having a normal conversation but you could feel the rage come yeah. up through you and there was just nothing you could do. Like it's completely hormonal and it flicks back off again. in that moment you just can't do anything yeah absolutely it's really really hard were there any other processes after that like once you've been through that medication or was it just waiting to fall pregnant it's waiting so you keep going through each month so the problem that you have is that it's such a small tiny window in that you can get pregnant so it's something like you can have one egg at 1.5 millimeters no one egg at 1.7 millimeters and no more than two eggs at 1.5 millimetres. If you have any others in between that size, it gets abandoned. So even if, so you're working in millimetre windows, but you inject straight into your legs, so you're not injecting for individual egg growth, you're just hoping that yeah. you've got enough hormone in that there's a bit of growth, but not enough that it affects any other eggs. Mm. Like, And that's really tough to it's literally lie there and be like, have I caught is there enough that I can do it or have I gone over or is there not quite enough or they're not quite developing every single month it's really tough yeah. really really tough how did it feel when you felt pregnant oh it was amazing it was incredible so we found out at 10 days which is just insane because mm. most people don't find out they're pregnant till they've like missed a period four weeks later and things like that yeah. so we were literally 10 days And I'd said to Kelly, I was like, I just feel rough. Like, I don't feel sick or anything. I just don't feel right. I was like, I just feel groggy and horrible. And we'd come in from doing the shopping, and I literally nicked for a quick wee and thought, oh, do you know, I'm just going to do one anyway. And I'll just stick it on the side, and it won't matter. I was like, it won't even show anything yet. It'll be fine. And I literally put it on the kitchen side, carried on putting all the shopping away, (laughs) cooked dinner, and then glanced over and was like, Oh my god! I think that's two lines. I was like, "Oh, I need to have a look. I need to put it properly." And then, like, obviously, we saw we were pregnant, which was amazing. And I think we did about another ten tests after that, as we mm. went along, just to be sure, <laughs> just um, to make sure, just, just to make, make sure, just to be on the safe side. <laughs> um, but it's amazing, yeah. That absolute euphoric moment is mm. just—it's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. Were you nervous throughout the pregnancy yeah, at all? Terrified? Absolutely terrified. It's a long way. You had to get from 10 days to the first 12-week marker for that initial, like, is there a heartbeat? Is everything okay? Is that sort of stuff in? And then actually, you've still got to get to 20 weeks because a lot of people see a 20-week scan as like a gender scan, and actually, there's a huge amount that they look for at 20 mm-hmm. weeks that can go horribly wrong and change someone's life forever, so you sort of feel like you can't really immerse yourself into it until you hit that marker. Um, and I was so poorly I was really really ill through my pregnancy so you sort of had the high of getting pregnant and then as quick as you had that high you just fell straight back down with another illness and another it was just yeah it was tough it was a tough pregnancy what were you ill with throughout the pregnancy so at eight weeks I was diagnosed with OHSS which is ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome which basically means your ovaries massively stimulate and they go absolutely huge so for me that meant I massively bloated I literally looked about four or five months pregnant at eight weeks oh my um I struggled to breathe yeah really uncomfortable I literally couldn't walk from my lounge into the kitchen without having to sit down I couldn't catch my breath I was drinking copious amounts and mm. just couldn't I like, was it was almost like I was dying of thirst um, so I mentioned it to my nurse and she was like, we need to get you admitted. So I was admitted into hospital for about two weeks with that. Um, came out of that. But the the outcome of that is you can't elevate your heart rate then for the rest of your pregnancy. So you can't walk much, you can't do anything mm. for yourself. Um, and you just have to take it easy. And then about 21 weeks, I got kidney stones. So I was admitted with that but the problem they had was because of my ovaries they thought I had a cyst and they thought a cyst had burst because they can't scan for kidney stones while you're pregnant because the scan they need they can't do Um, so at 21 weeks they said they were going to take me to theatre and basically I had to sign that I would likely lose my baby because they can't the NHS won't look after your baby until you're 24 weeks at 24 weeks they say there's enough chance that it could live. So under twenty four weeks, if you would go to surgery, they just leave the baby. So four weeks, so I've got four weeks to wait. So we refused the surgery because I just said, "Look, I've waited way too long and done way too much to get to this mm. point to risk it now." Um, so I was in hospital for just over five weeks, which was oh, just yeah both. horrendous, absolutely horrendous, and pain like I've never experienced in my life, just unbelievable pain.
0: And there's probably that anxiety in the back of my mind as well about your baby. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, because I, I was on morphine drips pretty much the whole time I was in there, which they don't want you to do because your baby gets addicted to it. Mm. Um, so then I had to be weaned off it, and so did my baby. And they had to put him on a, on a drug program and wean him off the amount of morphine that I'd had, which as a as a mum makes you feel like the worst person in the world mm. because you'd put your unborn baby through all that stress. So not the, not the... Not the ideal Not the stress-free, joyful, glowing pregnancy that everyone wants you to have. No, it wasn't. <laughs>
0: so can you tell us the difference between IVF and IUI? Just yeah. for our listeners that aren't sure of what the difference is between the two.
1: Okay, so IVF, you grow your eggs medically. Then your eggs are removed. The sperm's added to the eggs. They're cooked, essentially. And then the ones that catch... And become a pregnancy, go back inside you, and then it's down to your body to attach that that pregnant egg mm-hmm. onto your onto your womb and your uterus to create that pregnancy and hold on to it. IUI, you medicate your eggs to the right size, and then you insert the sperm straight into you. So there's less science involved in terms of matching the sperm and the egg together. Yeah. It's more just a case of putting them all in the same place and hoping that they catch. Yeah essentially that's how it works so it's a little bit of like a, a turkey based at the moment yeah for a bit different a little bit different yeah and also did you have any choice in the sperm donor yeah so it's really nice so it's a you fill a form in and mm-hmm. you basically say what you're looking for so you can say eye color hair color height uh skin color and then you can say about education and then three things that you'd like so we said we wanted someone sporty because Kelly's obviously really sporty yeah. We wanted someone with a really good work mm-hmm. ethic because that's kind of what, my background so you can kind of match the donor to what you're like and what they mm-hmm. look like with you um, and then they just drop you an email through with essentially a number against the sperm donor with different options and then it's up to you which one you want to choose we chose our donor because there was more available of him so it meant that if we want to have siblings in the future there is Sibling sperm available, oh, whereas some so there isn't. Yeah, so he's now we've now chosen to freeze him, so he's in the freezer. I mean, not our personal freezer, but he's in <laughs> the freezer. So if and when we want to try and have another baby, we've got him available to use, so they would have the same sperm donor.
0: I didn't even know that was an option. Yeah, so you can have the same donors. And is that something that you're thinking of
1: talking about? It'd be something we'd love to do. Mm. Um, We need to regain our finances again and build some money up and things like that. But it's a lot. And it's a lot mentally to go through. Mm. It takes a lot out of you. So it's a little bit of like, right, let's just enjoy Jack for now. Start putting some money back in the bank. Reset your buttons. (laughs) Yeah. And then as and when we might give it a try and, you know, who knows? Who knows if we'll get lucky twice.
0: And what would, advice would you give anybody that's going through IUI or a
1: similar kind of journey? I think you just if you're doing it as a couple, you have to talk to each other. It's really hard when, if you're not on the same page, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but even just the way I dealt with it and the way Kelly dealt with it were two very different things. Yeah. If you don't talk about it, you just become resentful of each other. Um, And also, it's okay to take a break through treatment. Before we started having our treatment, I looked at loads of forums and people were like, we're gonna take a break now, we're not not gonna have treatment for a couple of months. And I remember really vividly saying to Kelly, I don't understand why people do that. Like, unless it's financial, you want this baby, so surely you just keep going until you get pregnant. Like, that's the end goal, so why would you stop? And then when you're in it, you realize that actually, every single month you put yourself mentally and physically through absolute hell Mm. and sometimes you need to take a stop and just go do you know what my mental health is suffering now
0: yeah
1: and it's okay to stop and have a month off and just reset your own buttons take a break go out go and have some dinner that you've not had go and have a glass of wine go and you know just really chill out for a month and then go again and I think that's really vital because it's the bit that people don't want to do. They want to just keep going all the time.
0: Mm.
1: But it's okay to stop and it's better to stop and have that break than then go again.
0: Have a rest. Yeah.
1: Because you do need it. You do. You do. It's, it's the most gruelling thing I have ever done in my life. It really is.
0: And our last question. So yeah. We ask everyone that comes in, what is the main mantra that you live your life by
1: and why? So it's something that I saw years ago and it's never get so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. And I think you get grilled into you from school and college and universities, like you need to know what you're gonna do. What are you are gonna do when you grow up? What are you can do when you're older? What's your next job? What's your, what's your, what promotion are you going for? What's the next pay gap? What's the, all the time. And that's great and I applaud people that are so determined career-wise to succeed and succeed and succeed. But you can have all the money in the world but if you've not experienced anything or seen anything or been anywhere, then what's that money doing? Yeah. If it's sat in the bank, if you drop dead tomorrow, what have you experienced? So that's something that stuck with me for a long time and I just think it's really, really important. Absolutely.
0: Well, thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. Pleasure. It's been lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review.